You're listening to a podcast from Gateway Baptist Church, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. If you'd like to join us or find out more, visit gatewaybaptist.com.au. Have you ever wondered what the key to a good life is? Harvard researchers have studied thousands of people for over 80 years and they've figured it out. The key to a good life is relationships. Over and over again, they've found that people who are successful and happy are the ones who lean into relationships with their families, friends, and communities. But these researchers only discovered what God showed us long ago. Just like it says in Luke 10, 27, we are created for community. Whether that's relationship with God, your partner, your family, or your community. The Bible says it, the study's proven it. So together, let's learn how to live the good life. Oh, good morning. So good to uh, be with you here this morning, whether you're here in the room, whether you're joining us online. I trust if you've had some uh, holidays over the school holiday break, that you feel refreshed and ready to enter into all that Term 4 has in store and what God is going to do as we lead into Christmas, which is not that far away. But I want to ask you this morning, how do you feel about coming second all the time? Coming second all the time. This year, Brisbane, in their sporting fortunes, have come second in the cricket, big bash, second in the AFL, second in the NRL, and last night second in the Soccer Australia Cup. What's it like coming second all the time? I don't know, it's a little bit sad as a Lions fan. It was a little bit sad last Saturday that we came second. But I actually think there's something to learn in all of that. We're gonna actually, I just realized that the whole message today is actually about not coming first. So uh, it's really interesting, and as I said to my son who hasn't watched this TV show, but to quote or misquote Danny Rojas in Ted Lasso, if you've seen it, football is not life. Really important thing. Football is not life, and there is something significant about coming second. So let's jump into what it means to find the good life this morning. A recent survey of millennials asked them what the most important life goals that they had were. Over 80% said a major life goal was to get rich. A further 50% of those young adults said another one of their major life goals was to get famous. I can't believe how many people want to be an influencer these days. Our society continues to tell us to lean into work, to push harder, to achieve more, and we're told that these are the things that we should chase after to experience the good life. But what if that's all a little bit misdirected? That might be the prevailing view of millennials, to get rich, to get famous. But what if you could ask those in their 80s or 90s? What were the things that kept you healthy and happy through life? What would it be? Would it be fame? Would it be their career? Would it be their wealth? As we saw, as we were chatting through that intro video, there's a research project that has been going on since 1938. 84 years of ongoing study, which has examined in depth the lives of 724 men and their wives and their children. The Harvard study of adult de development is the largest 
in-depth, longitudinal study on adult life that has ever been conducted. And over these eight and a half decades, every two years, different generations of researchers have interviewed, examined, scanned brains, drawn blood, poked and prodded, and had extensive conversations with the family members of these more than 700 men. And they've discovered all sorts of amazing things and insight on human development. But the study's current director, he's the fourth director of this study, a guy by the name of Dr. Robert Waldinger, has summarized it all, 84 years of data into a simple statement. This is what he said. He said, if we had to take all 84 years of the Harvard study and boil it down to a single principle for living, it would be this. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier, period. That's it. Good relationships keep us healthier and happier. The good life is not about fame, not about fortune. It's not about your career. These researchers have discovered that social connections, good relationships, are the thing that have the greatest impact on our physical and mental health. Over these 84 years, these researchers have found that those who fared best were those who leaned in to relationships with family, with friends, and community. When the researchers looked at the most, most healthy octogenarians, those in their 80s, they went back through their research to discover what was happening in their 50s, to determine what was the biggest predictor of long, healthy life. It wasn't their cholesterol levels at age 50. It wasn't one's job or one's bank balance at age 50. Those who were the most physically healthy at 80 were the ones who thrived in their relationships at 50. Relationships matter. Good relationships are part of finding the good life. But as Dr. Waldinger himself states, this wisdom is as old as the hills. This study over the last 84 years tells us the same thing that Scripture has been telling us for millennia. We are created for community. And we're designed to live in loving relationships. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment to live by was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus knew that the key to the good life was to love God and to love others, to live in relationship both with our creator and those he has created. So in this teaching series over the next four weeks, we're gonna explore how God has designed us to live in relationship with others. We'll look at what it means to find the good life that God calls us to. We're gonna explore his wisdom in the context of relationship and family and friendships. And I think this series is gonna have something for everyone. It's not just those who are married, not just for those who have children living at home, there's scriptural wisdom for all of us, regardless of our age or life stage. And to help you on this Sunday, uh, on this journey, I should say, as Susan's mentioned, there's some great resources available, some life group resources that can help you guide some conversation as you do this journey with others. There's also some great family resources that will help you have conversations around the, the dinner table or in the car on the way to and from work or school. 
You can access all of these at our website or simply scan that QR code this morning. It'll take you to those. But as we kick off this new series today, why don't we just pause for a moment and stop and ask God to show us how to find this good life. Father God, we thank you this morning that you have created us. Lord, you have put us here on this planet and you've created us for relationship. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, your example that you gave us, walking this earth, prioritizing people. And Lord, as we begin this series and over these next four weeks, Jesus, I pray that you would help us to discover your wisdom. Help us not to just experience it or learn it in our head, but help it, us to live this out and to find this good life that you've called us to live with you and with others. We ask these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Well, from the outset of creation, at the beginning of the Bible, it is evident that God designed us for relationship. He's designed us for relationship with himself and with others. As we read the Genesis creation story, God makes these proclamations about his creation. God says, let there be light. And he sees that the light was good. Let there be the ground and the sea. And God sees that they are good. Let there be plants and trees, God says, and he sees that they are good. God continues creating stars, moon, stars. They are good. Living creatures on earth, wild animals, fish and birds, they are good. God creates humankind and then looks over all of his creation and declares it is very good. There are seven goods or very goods in all of creation, just in chapter one of Genesis. But then in chapter two, we read the first not good. Genesis 2, 18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God says, creation, it's good. It's very good. But man on his own, that's not good. How's he ever going to find the remote? Who's going to make him make the bed, clean his room? But God sees that loneliness is not good. Loneliness is dangerous. Loneliness is toxic. This Harvard study that I mentioned before found that people who were more isolated than they would like to be are less happy, their brain function declines earlier, and their general health declines sooner than those who have good relationships. This is confirmed by other research that shows that loneliness is unhealthy. An Australian study, which you can find by searching for KPMG and the Goodwill Project, it indicates that lonely people have a 26% increased risk of death than non-lonely people. And get this, the impacts of loneliness are equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes or having six standard alcoholic drinks per day. Loneliness is toxic. Yet most Australians will experience loneliness in their lifetime. When asked by the Australian Bureau of Statistics, which has now started measuring a loneliness factor, when people were asked last October, 36% of Australian adults reported experiencing some kind of loneliness in the last week. Being alone is not good. It's not God's perfect plan. We were designed for relationship. 
Justin Whitmill earlier, one of my favorite Christian authors at the moment, has written some fantastic books on habits and family, and he's just released a new book called Made for People. In it, he defines loneliness as the feeling of being a person who used to have friends. He writes that loneliness is a spiritual and physical reality that we will all struggle with at multiple moments in life. And loneliness can strike at any time. Maybe from having lost a loved one, moved away, changing churches or a life group dissolving. Maybe from, uh, from changing jobs or divorce or being hurt by someone. And it can come even when you're surrounded by many people, but don't feel known by anyone. I remember one of my painful loneliness, loneliness experiences was turning up to a new school in grade nine. Our family had just moved up from Victoria where I'd had a great network of friends, an awesome youth group I was part of, and neighbors who were my own age. And all of that was taken away. And as an awkward, shy, pimply 13-year-old, I turned up at this school and I knew no one. At the start of grade nine, it seemed like everyone had already formed their friendship groups, and I spent the first four days at this new school, and I did not talk to a single person for four days. I was so lonely. And it wasn't until the very last class on Friday, it was French with Mr. Hannigan, that I, I had a conversation with a guy named James. James and I just started having a chat. We found out that we had some similar interests. And from that day, he became one of my best mates through school. And now, almost 30 years later, we're still great mates today, and our families have got good friendships, and it's actually his birthday today. So if you do happen to tune in, James, happy birthday. But all it took was for one person to open the door. All it took was one conversation to begin a journey out of loneliness. My heart is that no one would experience loneliness like that in an ongoing way here at Gateway. That's why we say every week, everyone who comes to Gateway is welcome. It's why we have space in our service to say good day to others. It's part of the reason why we have a bunch of ministries and our, our cafe to help people connect with other people. Loneliness is a silent epidemic in our culture, but it doesn't have to be in our church. We can all play a role in combating loneliness. Listen to this quote from Dr. Vivek Murthy. He's the head of the United States Public Health Service. And with one in four experiencing loneliness here in Oz, I reckon the principle that he talks about is just as applicable. He says, if you look at the numbers around loneliness, you realize that you've got more people who are struggling with loneliness than have diabetes in this, in this country. It made me realize how I should probably change my default a little bit in terms of how I approach other people. Rather than assuming that people are connected and great and fine, I should probably recognize that there's a very real chance that the person in front of me might be struggling with loneliness. It is not good for man or woman to be alone. God has designed us for relationship. And as a church, we all have a role to play in helping people connect into relationships with one another here in God's family. We can all make sure that we've got an open seat at the table, an open spot in our friendship group. We can all play a role in making sure that no one walks alone. 
I've just been really encouraged between the services this morning, just seeing people of all different ages, of all different stages connect. And I wanna encourage you, if you are here for the first time today, our team would love to chat with you, would love to help you make some connections. If you're here today and you don't know anyone, I'd love to have a chat with you after the service. Any of our pastoral team would. Because our heart is that everyone would not just be told that they're welcome, but that they would experience welcome and connection here at Gateway. God designed us for relationship. And first and foremost, he designed us for relationship with himself. Through Jesus, we are invited into a relationship, into a friendship with the creator of the world. You realize that today, that the almighty God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he actually wants to call you friend. 16 years ago in 2007, when I was working as a school chaplain, I became involved in a program that connected young, young adults, young people, with Christian leaders in the community and around our nation. This program was actually supported by federal and state politicians, and as part of this initiative, one night, I found myself having a barbecue dinner at Kevin Rudd's house alongside a bunch of other young adults. At the time, Kevin Rudd was the leader of the opposition, and Kevin 07 had already started. There was an election brewing and you could kind of get the sense that he was about to become the Prime Minister of Australia. I remember that night, sitting around the table, sharing dinner with a bunch of other young adults, talking with the person who was about to become the most powerful figure in Australia and thinking, how on earth did I end up here? But it was also evident that night, as polite and engaging as Kevin Rudd might have been, he wasn't looking for more friends that evening. He didn't need any more mates. He just needed votes. And the Prime Minister didn't want to become my friend, the most powerful person in Australia. He didn't want to become my friend. But the creator of the world does. The King of kings and the Lord of lords wants to be my friend, wants to be your friend. Listen to how Jesus puts it. He says, my command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Jesus says to his disciples, and he says to us today, you are my friends. I'm not your master and you're not my slaves. I'm not some distant ruler with you as my pawns. You are my friends. I love you. I'm giving up my life for you. I've chosen you. I've picked you out. I've befriended you. And you can show your friendship with me by following my commands. Jesus invites us into friendship with him. And God, in his incredible wisdom, has given us the Holy Spirit. For those who've put their trust in Jesus, his presence actually lives with us. Jesus said in that same conversation with his disciples, he said, the advocate, or, or otherwise translated, the counselor, the helper, the friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
we are invited into friendship with God. Our Heavenly Father is not some far off or distant or aloof spiritual being. He has come to earth in the form of a man so that we can know him. He invites us into the close relationship of friendship and he desires to live with us and shape us from within. I love how the Bible uses this language of friendship, of family, of inclusion and connection to express God's incredible love for us. We are invited into friendship with the creator of heaven and earth. If you haven't accepted that friendship, a little bit later in our service, you can have an opportunity to do that. But this next statement almost sounds blasphemous. But the reality is that God on his own is not enough for us. Let me say that again, because some of you are going, what did he say? God on his own is not enough for us. God has invited us into friendship with himself, but he also designed us to be in community with others. If we go back to Genesis and to the Garden of Eden, we see Adam walking and talking with the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing God of all things. The God who spoke the stars into existence. The one who knew every hair on his head. You'd think that God was all that Adam would need, right? And this is before the fall. This is before sin entered the world. And God still says, this is not good. I'm not enough. According to the Almighty himself, God is necessary but still not sufficient for us to live the full and flourishing life that he's created us for. Adam needed something else. Adam needed someone else. Now, just before you pull your phone out and start writing an email to Jason Ellsmore complaining about my theology, hear me out for a moment. When it comes to salvation, God is definitely all we need. He's the only one who can provide eternal life in relationship with him. I wholeheartedly believe Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is all we need when it comes to salvation. But Jesus on his own is not all we need. The scripture tells us this. Paul writes to the church at Philippi saying, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says God will meet all your needs. He doesn't say God himself is all you need. God invites us into friendship with himself, but he also knows that we have other needs Alongside oxygen and food and water, we need other people. That's why Jesus says, love God and love others. That's why the Old Testament always makes a big thing about family and where people come from. God made family relationships to be important. It's why God instituted this idea of marriage, a lifelong covenant relationship between a man and a woman. That's why Jesus surrounded himself with 12 disciples and a bunch of friends who followed him. And that's why Jesus started the church, a community of people who commit to following Jesus and living out his mission in the world. Sometimes I hear people who say, oh, I can be a Christian and I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be part of a community. That's so wrong. God has created us for relationship with him and relationship with others. We're designed for relationship, not just with God, but with other people as well. But in all of that, in all of our relationships, Jesus calls us to put him first. Everything else is to come second. 
Jesus knows how important friendships are in our lives. But as we follow him, Jesus calls us to put him first. During his ministry on earth, Jesus said some pretty confronting things. He would make statements and share stories that caused people to sit up and take notice. Jesus said things to challenge, to provoke, and to point to spiritual truth. And one of those statements is recorded in Luke chapter 14. We've got large crowds coming to Jesus. They're amazed at his miracles. They're in wonder at his healings. They're being impacted by his teachings. And yet Jesus challenges them about what it means to really follow him. He challenges and calls those who want to follow him to put him first. Listen to these words. They're confronting. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That's a pretty strong statement. You want us to hate the people that you've put in our life, Jesus? Hate's a strong word. We don't even use the word hate in our family. But as he often does, Jesus is using hyperbole and provocative language to make his point. Jesus uses this word hate to get our attention, but he's not using it in the literal sense that we would use it today. He's not calling us to be heartless towards those who are closest to us. Instead, he's saying that amongst all of our relationships, if we're to follow Jesus, we're to put him first. He's not telling us to literally hate our families. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus says that after loving God, the most important thing is to love others. Jesus tells us that we're not even to hate our enemies. And he says that people will know that we are his followers by the way that we love other people. Instead, Jesus using this word hate as a point of comparison. That in comparison to all of our earthly relationships, we must love Jesus more. He must be number one. It's similar language to that used in the Old Testament where Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. And Genesis tells us that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah and that Leah lamented about being second in Jacob's eyes. She declared that she was unloved or literally hated. In this context, to be hated is to be loved less than another. And Jesus is saying, if you're my disciple, if you wanna follow me, You must love me first above all other relationships. And that's how Matthew recorded Jesus' teaching. In his account, Matthew writes, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is saying the key to a good friendship, the key to a good marriage, the key to the good life is to put Jesus first, to love him more than any other person to love him more than your spouse, to love him more than your closest friends, to love him more than your family. When we put Jesus first, it will enable us to love our spouse and our friends better than we would be be capable of on our own because we'll be fueled by his love. When we put Jesus first, we will forgive our spouse and our friends better because we'll be forgiven for our own mistakes from God. And when we put Jesus first, we will serve our spouse and our family and friends better because we will not be looking to them to meet all of our needs. Putting Jesus first is the key to finding the good life. 
Earlier, I mentioned a meal that I had with the future prime minister back in 2007. But that wasn't the most important meal I had that year. Earlier in the year, in April of that year, I'd sat down in a Thai restaurant with this beautiful girl named Lauren. It was our first date, and in all honesty, it had taken a while to get there. I'd been keen on her for a few years, and I'd let her know multiple times through that period, but each time she'd knock me back, sometimes even in public. How cold. <laughs> she'd tell me that she wasn't really interested or wasn't ready for a relationship. And even this dinner, it was actually our second first date because we'd tried it the year before and it just hadn't really worked. But at that dinner, on the 19th of April 2007, that dinner became a turning point that turned a wonderful friendship into a great relationship. And then two years later, it became the start of a fantastic marriage. And she is here. She wasn't here at 8 a.m. to defend herself, but at least I think it's a fantastic relationship and marriage. I don't know if you do, but you can ask her after the service. But a key to our relationship over the years has been for each of us to know that we are the other's second most important person in our lives. One of the things I've loved about Laurie is that she has always put God first. Before we were dating, we'd be going out with groups of friends on social events, many nights, you know, young adults are often out, weeknights hanging out with their friends. And she'd often be the first person to leave. Not because she got bored of her friends, not because she didn't want to hang out with her friends, but she was a night person. And she just loved spending time with Jesus at night. She would actually leave her friendship group early, go home and spend time with God. At least a couple of times she rejected me. She felt that it was because God was doing some internal work within her and she didn't want a relationship to cloud that. At least that's how I justified her rejection. <laughs> and over the years, she always has prioritized her relationship with God by being part of this church and serving in it. She's been a worship leader. She's been a kids and a youth leader and pastor. And these days, she serves as our young adults pastor. Today, she's still prioritizes Jesus over anyone else. Some, most mornings, this is true, most mornings our kids are going rampant. They're demanding this or that. I'm yelling out, have you seen my shoes? Once again. But at some point through the morning, I turn around and there's Lauren with a cup of tea, Bible open, journaling and reflecting on her relationship with God. Laurie faithfully puts Jesus first in her life and I think I our family, and this whole church benefits from that. Jesus calls us to put him first. If you're here with us today and you're married, your greatest gift to your spouse is to prioritize a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here with us today and you're looking for a spouse, the best thing that you can do in preparation for marriage is to prioritize a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're single, the best contribution that you can bring to your friends and your community is to prioritize a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. The key to finding the good life is to put him first. Over the next four weeks, we're gonna continue exploring how to invest in the relationships around us, how to live the good life that God has created us for. 
But as we uh, kick this series off today, I want to give you a practical challenge. I want to challenge you to invest more into the most important relationship that you have, to prioritize Jesus, to put more time in to your relationship with him. And I want to encourage you today to do that with someone else. Don't just do it alone. For the next four weeks, I want to challenge you to try a new rhythm, to start a new routine, to to begin a new habit, either with your spouse or with your family or a close friend. Just try it for four weeks. We're having a chat as a family yesterday about how the start of a new term gives us an opportunity to push the reset button, to try something different, to add something in to our regular routine. I want to challenge you over these next four weeks, add something new in. Prioritize your relationship with Jesus, but do that in the context of a relationship with someone else. There's a whole bunch of options that you could explore, a whole range of things you could try, but let me give you some suggestions. I actually think this first one should be a non-negotiable. But commit to being at church every Sunday with your spouse or a friend over the next four weeks. Just put it in the diary. Don't let anything else crowd that out. Maybe there's some other things you can do as well. Commit to doing the same Bible reading plan or the same, using the same devotional resource or Christian podcast with a friend. We've got a group of mates that we've been doing a, a bit of a, a journey with through a devotional resource and we're often texting encouragements or prayers to one another as we re- reflect and journey through that particular resource. Go on a prayer walk with someone who lives close to you and actually pray with them. Don't just share or, or gossip. Actually pray with one another for your neighborhood, for your journey with Christ. Maybe make a commitment to meeting regularly with your life group. Well, use this next four weeks to start being part of a life group. Maybe you could commit to ringing a good friend once a week, checking in on them and praying with them. Or post a regular prayer or spiritual encouragement in the group chat that you're part of. Or maybe, like Lauren and I, this next four weeks, there's a commitment between you and your spouse to pray more together. This is our challenge. Lauren and I have fallen out of the habit of praying together. And over the next four weeks, we're gonna commit to praying more regularly together. Now that I've told you, I have to do it. There's a bunch of things that you could try, but I want to encourage you to commit to just one thing. And as I've just done, share that one thing with someone else. What is that one thing, that one practice that you can begin to use to put Jesus first in your key relationships? What does it look like for you? If that's with a close friend, then maybe you need to have a conversation with them before you leave church today. Or maybe send a text message before you leave. Or maybe you have to have this conversation in the car on the way home. If those ideas are up there, take a screenshot and have a chat with your spouse or with your family in the car on the way home. How can we prioritize Jesus in these next four weeks? Perhaps you're watching online, you're joining us online, you need to open up one of those instant messaging apps right now and reach out to someone and have a conversation about how you can put this into practice. In a moment, I'm gonna invite us all to stand and symbolically recommit to putting Jesus first in our lives. But before we do that, as I mentioned before, if you've not yet accepted Jesus' offer of friendship and of salvation, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. If that's you, this is your moment.
Whether you're here or this in the room or you're joining online, I encourage us all just right now to bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're a Christian already, start praying for those who might put their trust in Jesus today. See, Jesus stepped out of heaven just for you. He lived a perfect life and He showed us how to live on this earth. And He highlighted to us that our sins have separated us from God. Our mistakes, our missteps, we've fallen short of the perfect holy God who created us. We cannot live up to His expectations, His standards on our own. And so Jesus came and stood in our place. He died in our place. He allowed Himself to be hung on a cross And as He did, He took on the sins of mankind. In His own words, He says, greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their lives for their friends. Jesus laid down His life for you because of His great love for you. But the amazing truth of the Gospel is that He conquered the grave. He took all those sins on His back He took your sins to the cross. He paid the ultimate price for you, but then He overcame them. God raised Him to life on the third day. He overcame sin, He overcame the grave, and now He stands with His arms outstretched, offering you friendship. He offers to take all the sin that you carry, all the shame that you are burdened with and forgive you. He wants to wash you white as snow. He invites you to be part of His family and He wants to give you eternal life with your Creator. All you need to do is to accept His invitation. So if that is you right here today, you wanna accept that invitation of friendship, of salvation, of an eternal relationship with your Creator, can I just get you to raise your hand? No matter where you are in this room, raise your hand. If you're online and that is you today, you can click the button in the chat Someone would love to pray with you. Someone would love to encourage with you. See your hand, that's fantastic. See your hand as well, you can put that down as well. See that hand. People all across this room, see that hand over there. Is anyone else here today that just wants to accept that invitation from Jesus to be His friend? To accept that gift of salvation, see that hand. And be welcomed in to an eternal relationship with their Creator. One last opportunity, if that's you this morning, raise your hand. Awesome. So good. If you did raise your hand or you clicked on that button or you just agreed with me in your heart, I want to encourage you to pray along with me right now. A simple prayer, just saying thank you to Jesus and asking Him to come to your life and change you. Just pray with me. I'll pray a sentence or a phrase you pray after. Jesus, I am sorry. I am sorry for the way that I have made mistakes and missteps. I am sorry that I don't live up to the standard of a holy and perfect God. But today, Jesus, I also say thank you. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I thank you for conquering the grave. And I thank you for your offer of salvation and friendship. Today, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I accept your grace. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your offer of eternal 
life. And I declare you to be my friend, my Lord, and my Saviour. Please help me to live the way that you called me to live. I invite your Holy Spirit to transform me from within and to help me to become more like you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we give all those people who made a decision to put their trust in Jesus a huge round of applause this morning? It's the best decision you can ever make. I want to encourage you, if you have made that decision, whether you put your hand up here today, whether you've said that online, we would love to connect with you. We've got some resources that we'd love to get into your hands. You can come down the front and uh, have a chat with some of our prayer team. There's a resource that they would love to get into your hands. Or you can visit our welcome desk on your way out this morning. Again, there's a little folder information. If you're joining us online, uh, one of our team would love to connect with you and get that into your hands. And we'd love to invite you to Alpha, as Susan says, starting up in a couple of weeks. It's a great opportunity to make more sense of what Jesus has done. So I encourage you to sign up and be part of Alpha. So good to see what God is doing in your life. Hey, as I said before, as we begin this journey over these next four weeks, as we begin to find the good life, let's start off by committing to putting Jesus first in all of our relationships. We're gonna sing a song in the, in the moment that declares only Jesus. For me, only Jesus. That through the chaos, through the good times, Jesus, it's only you. We wanna put you first. I wanna invite you if that's your prayer, and I hope this is everyone. I wanna invite you to stand right now. And as you stand, just make a recommitment to Jesus. Declare that you will put Him first in your marriage. You'll put Him first in your family. You'll put Him first in all of your relationships. And as we sing this song together, let's use it, let's declare it as a prayer this morning. Come on, let's sing together.
our prayer this morning. Let our heart only want for you. Lord, you help us to put you first in all of our relationships. And God, over these next few weeks, would you help us to discover what it means to follow you into this great life that you have offered us. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to walk away from here and to put into practice something we've been challenged by today. Help us to live that good life that you've called us to. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, I want to encourage, if you're here this morning and you would like prayer for something, I want to encourage you to come down the front. Our prayer team is down here. They'd love to pray for you. Online, there's a prayer team waiting just for you as well. If you'd like prayer for anything this morning, our prayer team are here. But God bless you. Thanks for coming today. Go and meet somebody. Don't let anybody be lonely today. But God bless you. Have a good one. We'll see you next Sunday. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ, we would love to encourage you on your journey. Help us help you by going to gatewaybaptist.com.au and clicking on Get Connected.